Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In this monthly Market Insights, Phil Atreid, Head of Investment Consulting, talks to Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, about the latest market movements, future inflation expectations, and what to expect from the second half of the year. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello and welcome to this June episode of Monthly Market Insights. I'm Phil Attreed, Barclays Head of Investment Consulting, and I'm joined again this month by Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer, as we explore what's been going on in the world of investing. Will, let's maybe start with global markets. What are the key highlights for the past month from you? Yes, hi Phil. Another month gone by. Yes, yeah, so, so I mean, stocks recovered from their kind of initial swoon in the beginning of May. It was a very mild, minor swoon. And, you know, if you look year to date, energy and financials are still, you know, the standout sectors and a very impressive performance so far this year from stocks overall. You know, the superstars of last year are very much at the bottom of the pack in, t- in sector terms again. So, you know, you're seeing information technology and so on with much sort of more muted returns than those previously out of favor sectors. Uh, diversified commodities have incred- uh, sort of continued their very impressive start to the year, excluding gold right across the piece. So energy, industrial metals, agriculture, all that very strong. Uh, and within fixed income, you you know, from in the last month, you've seen a little bit of a bounce back in some of the high quality corners. So high quality corporate and government debt. Um, but year to date, it's still sort of quite a soft story for those higher quality corners. Quite. And so what exactly have been some of the most influential bits of new news, if there is new news that's out there, that have been driving some of those market movements year to date? I mean, from my point of view, from what I've been reading, it still seems to be that inflation is very much at the front and centre of a lot of the market moves that we've seen in the last month. Yeah, I think that's right, Phil. Uh, You know, investors are still desperately trying to peek over the horizon to see what the trend in inflation Looks like um, beyond the jumble of noise on bottlenecks and various other distortions, you know, pandemic related distortions we're seeing right now. Now, as we said before, we're only start to get a better sense of, you know, a better view of this once we get a, a, a bit more, a bit more of a look at what our kind of working, playing, investing lives settle back to when this pandemic is in meaningful you know, find a, you know, a global retreat. And I think that global point is is really important. Uh, you know, so we've changed. We just don't quite know how much until uh, and until we know that we're only then going to see the kind of nature and number of jobs that the global economy is going to offer. Um, society. And that will give us a better idea of the trend in inflation after that. More broadly, though, you know, incoming survey data is telling us that the global economy is very much you know, in motion. Uh, the US ISM surveys, which, you know, we set a bit of store by, they're speaking of very elevated levels of activity still, you know, persistently right up at highs. And, and this chimes with other sort of comparable surveys and indeed actually kind of trade data from sort of, you know, really important hubs like uh, Korea. That's all sort of speaking the same kind of story, which is of that kind of brisk global recovery in motion. And you alluded there to the outlook for the jobs market. We've obviously had some data coming through last week. And we're seeing quite maybe quite a complicated picture, particularly in the US, a slower expected recovery from some of those extreme highs of unemployment, obviously through last year and what were clearly very difficult times for the economy. But does that maybe also tell us a little bit more about what we can expect in Europe as well as as we start to see lockdowns unfold? 
Yeah, it's a, a good moment as usual for the dogs to go nuts in the background. <laughs> uh, sorry, well, the pandemic noises, uh, along with uh, you're on mute. So yes, no, it's a good question, Phil, with regards to the labour market. I think you and I have spoken about this quite a lot over the last year. And I think the important context here is the very different way that the US, Europe and UK have dealt with this crisis with regards to the labour market. So, you know, obviously there are similarities in terms of the degree of muscularity of that response and how rapid it was relative to crises response past. But in terms of the labour market, there are very different ways that they've been dealing with it. And in the US, the crisis were allowed to flow pretty freely through the labour market in many ways. Policymakers accepted a huge rise in unemployment, really an eye-watering rise in unemployment in the first sort of stages of the crisis. That was one of the, you know, that that jobless claims chart, you know, right at the beginning was one of the really amazing charts you could see, you know, in terms of explaining just how amazing, incredible this crisis was. Uh, and basically they accepted, you know, what they did instead is allowing unemployment to rise, but they supported individuals through kind of beefed up unemployment insurance and stimulus checks and so on. Now in Europe, policymakers did it entirely differently. What they did is they tried to preserve labour market matches. So they kept employees linked to companies, but protected them through those furlough schemes and comparable schemes. So You've sort of got this kind of artificial state of affairs with regards to unemployment data in uh, in Europe. So as you and, and actually, interestingly, the UK went down the European route, you know, the freshly, freshly Brexited UK went down the European route in terms of how to protect its labour market. Now, there are strengths and weaknesses to both of these modes of protection or you know, crisis strategies, let's say. But what we are seeing in the US may hint at you know, what might lie beneath the furlough schemes in the UK and Europe. And that is really that, just as we were just talking about, is that the nature and number of jobs has been changed by this crisis. And that in many instances in the US, you're finding people are looking for different jobs to the ones that they left. Um, that's part of the part of the struggle of this crisis. Uh, and so matching up uh, you know, making labour market matches between companies and individuals, again, it's quite complicated. There are also some continuing distortions in the US. So, you know, there's a very high level of that very high level of unemployment insurance in some people's mind, maybe deterring people from getting back into the market, into the labour market a little bit. There's other factors as well. Risk appetite, you know, with regards to pandemic related risk appetite is uh, is affected. So, there's there's a long way to go. And I think the point is that even though US unemployment has dropped a long way from the peaks back at the, you know, in, in the sec second quarter of last year, there are still like a huge number of people on the sidelines, which just shows just what a gigantic crisis this is and was. And, you know, how complicated it is to get those people back into the into the workforce. Quite still a lot of news flow, I think, to come as the year goes on and uh, um, as we see globally things sort of unfold. But anything else in particular that you and the investment teams are looking out for at the moment? What should investors be focused on right now? Ooh, lots. As always, Phil, I think, you know, it's a busy, a busy rest of year, I think, ahead. And that's just in the stuff that we can see. I mean, I think... There are a couple of things that I would highlight just from our stance, which is that there's the disbursement of this kind of hard-won European recovery fund, uh, with most of the legislative headwinds have been sort of sidelined, moved out of the way, overcome. So you're going to see big chunks of that. I think Italy and Spain are going to get a huge portion of that recovery fund. I mean, they're expecting sometimes around August, maybe a bit beyond that. 
um, you're going to start to see that hitting the road and you'll see big chunks of that go on energy transition and digital transformation, which should be interesting to see that sort of, you know, like I say, start to be implemented. And across the pond, meanwhile, there are growing expectations that, you know, the Democrats are going to go sort of, you know, the do it, go it alone legislative route and try and do as much as they can of this infrastructure effort, the next stage of the spending packages through something called, you know, this uh, this legislative called reconciliation uh, so there'll be you know we'll start to get a better idea about what's coming down the pike in that in, in that sense of you know how much is going to make it through and also importantly how much uh, how it's going to be funded is it going to be you know to, to what extent a tax is going to rise to offset um, that big chunk of, of spending I, I think also you know the other thing that's interesting out there at the moment is a bit of that polled reluctance to get to get vaccinated across the world has seemed to melt away in many countries which is uh, which is useful but you are starting to see a slowdown in the US vaccination rate nonetheless. But I think in the developed world, the point that we get across in the UK and increasingly Europe and the US, you'll see a considerable, if you add together the number of people, the proportion of society that's been vaccinated, uh, either once or increasingly twice, depending on what vaccine you're using, so on and so on, and add that to the kind of uh, blood bank antibody studies, you're seeing a significant degree of resilience now being built up in the developed world um, or in you know many developed world countries, uh, which is important. But, you know, the point has to be like, how quickly can you get the world to that herd immunity level? How quickly can you get the world vaccinated? Because that's when we will really be able to start you know, thinking about the all clear uh, from this crisis. And until then, it's going to be a complicated journey. Absolutely. A, a day we're all certainly looking forward to, though. Uh, thanks as always, Will. Really great to get your thoughts. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us again for another monthly Market Insights. If you would like to hear more from us, between now and next month, please do seek out our weekly podcast, Word on the Street, where we share all of our latest thoughts on market developments. Otherwise, Will and I look forward to being back with you next month. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.